I would say it's the safest way to make a long-term investment and start building wealth for your family. And welcome back to the First Hustle Then Brunch podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Joelle Pimentel, who has been working in finance for over 10 years and has spent over five years originating mortgages. We were friends way back in high school, so I've known him for a very long time. A couple of days ago, I shared an episode all about buying your first home with realtor Devin Curlings. However, there are two main people that you will be working with when you're buying your first home. So I brought Joel on the podcast to discuss the financial side of buying a home, and he answered all of the questions that you sent me over on Instagram, as well as random ones that popped up in my head as we talked. After listening to these two episodes, you should have everything you need to make an educated decision about whether or not you should consider buying a home, as well as what to look for in a realtor and a lender. Hey, Joel, welcome to the podcast. Hey, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing well. I get a lot of questions about home buying, so... Glad to have an expert like you on. Yeah, it's a hot topic right now, especially people in our age range, you know, people we went to school with and stuff. We're kind of all in that, getting married, having babies, buying houses, stay. So it's, yep. it's, it's coming up a lot and it's, yeah. it's important. Yeah. And especially with this economy too. I feel like even more people are talking about it. Yeah. Between being in all time, you know, historically low interest rates and then historically high interest rates within a span of 24 months, it's, <laughs> it's been like news for everybody. Even if you're not looking to buy a house, you're hearing about it. Yeah, exactly. Well, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, what you do. Yeah, so my name is Joel Pimentel. I'm a mortgage lender. I go by the mortgage poppy. I have uh, been in finance for over 10 years, but I've been doing mortgage lending for over five years. So I'm a licensed uh, mortgage loan originator and I'm licensed in North, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida. And I do residential mortgage loans. So essentially, if you're buying a home you're going to live in or it has to be, you know, residential property that maybe you're going to rent. And so that's what I've been doing now for, like I said, over over five years. Nice. So first, there's been a bunch of terms thrown around that you've already said and some that I've come across in my own research. So can you explain the difference between a mortgage broker, mortgage lender and a loan officer? Any of those terms? Like, what do they all mean? Yeah. So mortgage lender, loan officer. Those are all the same. Those are interchangeable. The only one that would be different from, let's say, a mortgage lender or a lender or a loan officer would be mortgage broker. And so the main differences are that a mortgage lender is going to work for a company, usually a relative, a bigger company than, than typically that of a broker, because they're going to have their in-house underwriting, in-house processing. The full process from beginning to end stays within one company. All the employees are working under that company. A mortgage broker, however, that is they're kind of to some degree kind of like the middleman. So they have they're using other companies for everything that they're doing as far as processing the loan. So mm-hmm. they have access to these companies, depending on the companies that each broker maybe has relationships with, but they'll have access to their guidelines, the way to underwrite, they'll know their underwriting process and how to qualify clients. But as soon as you are going under contract and that loan goes into processing, as opposed to when you're working with the lender or a loan originator in which that lender knows, you know, the underwriter or whatever, they're just going to pick the company that they pre-approved you with and it's going to go to them. So they're, they're, they're more hands off from the process. So there's pros and cons. A, a pro may be that a broker would, let's say, have access to maybe more things hypothetically, right? It's not as much mm-hmm. as you would think, but they could maybe have access to certain products that a lender doesn't because a lender is tied to what their company can or can't do. 
whereas a broker may be able to explore what other companies do. But then the cons are that element of it is disconnected. There are there do tend to be more fees for the broker because they're having to pay fees um, on top of what you would normally just pay one one lender. You're paying their the broker's fee plus that other company's fees a lot of times. Mm. And then yeah, just that element of of you know a little bit of disconnect, not not having that relationship or knowing exactly who to contact or what's going on with your loan, the same way you would with a lender or loan originator. Nice. So do you follow your clients basically from the very beginning all the way through closing? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I have to. So my my process is helping clients from even sometimes when they're not even ready to buy, but it could be phone call one, could be hey, I'm just want to start the process of considering buying a home, all the way to I got the keys. All the way to, I've been in my house for six months. I want to refi. I mean, mm. it's a lifelong relationship that we're trying to establish so that that way that client is aware that anything mortgage related, I am the person that they're going to reach out to so I can I can help them with what they need. Yeah. So obviously your job is really important and you mentioned building relationships with people and that sort of thing. So how do you choose the right lender? Like what are some things that people should look out for? So I, I think that... Uh, that's a good question because I think that people usually are focusing on the wrong thing. So mm-hmm. when you're trying to look for the lender, you want to vet out the company. So do research on the company as a whole. You don't want to read reviews of the company. If they're local, see what it is that that company has done locally. Are they, do they have a presence? Are they? If it matters to you, what are they doing for the community? There's things like that where companies do that. So vet out mm-hmm. the company, its integrity, how it processes loans and clients' experiences. Once you've determined the companies that you want to use, then the lender is really, I think it's just experience. So there's going to be a lot of people that do my job, much like any other job, but we're all running our own individual businesses, at least when you're referring to lenders with local corresponding lenders. So it's just like finding a real estate agent, find someone that you trust, that you feel like communicates well, and that you feel like you can um, you can feel comfortable with the way that they're giving you information. Because mm-hmm. when clients are looking at who has the best rate, what company can save me closing costs, the reality is we are, we all have access to the same rates. There's mm. going to be a marginal difference based on that company's margins, right? What it is that that company's overhead is. But for the most part, we all have access to the same rates because they're determined by mortgage-backed securities. So your an application or fees you're paying the lender are very minimal in the grand scheme of closing costs. So you're never really paying any one lender much more than another. And you're never really getting access to any rates that are significantly different. So when you're looking mm-hmm. for the right lender, it really comes down to vetting out the company. And then once you've selected a company, just feeling comfortable with that person you're talking to. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So I know you talk a lot about home ownership on your Instagram. Why is home ownership so important in your opinion? I think it is the safest and well, I want to say the easiest, but I, I will say it's the safest way to make a long-term investment and start building wealth for your family historically, real estate has been something that you could have always put money into and receive a return on it greater than what you would receive in that of a stock market. So it is, Mm. it can be viewed as a long-term investment, but it is one of the few investments that can be very profitable even in the short term. And it is a necessity. So there's, there's not many investments that are required. You know, we need shelter, we need food, we need water. You invest in a piece of property at the end of the day, there's always going to be somebody that needs a place to live. So by putting your money in there, you're putting it in an asset that is appreciating, that is always mm-hmm. going to have a, always going to have a need. Now I'll use myself as an example. I um, I recently purchased my second home in September. When I bought my first home, this was before I was even in mortgage. This was like seven years ago. I was working in finance. I was working in banking. So I kind of knew that it was the right thing to do, but I kind of mm-hmm. got coached into it by by the mortgage lender who was in my branch. And now that same property. I rent out for almost double what my mortgage is, which is ridiculous margins. Nice. That, yeah. those mar- I mean, it's like almost double mm-hmm. what my mortgage is. 
it's worth probably almost double what I owe on it. And it's paid off so much of my debt by being able to do, you know, refinancing, taking equity out, paying a higher interest Mm -hmm. rate debt. And had I not made that purchase at that time, not really knowing what I was doing, I wouldn't be in this position where it's like seven years later. Now, looking back at it, it was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. Yeah. Um, So I think even if you can't wrap your head around completely the investment element, Mm because sometimes you have to live through it. Sometimes it takes seven years for you to be like, oh, this is what I did. Just know that by purchasing a property, even if it's just one that you live in and it's not one that's immediately making you money because it's not an investment, it is one of the, the safest things you can you can put your money in that'll that'll give you money back. Yeah, that's awesome. And congrats because you bought your first home like in your early 20s. Yeah, I was 22. Yeah, that's awesome. And a lot of people, obviously, I'm 30. <laughs> I still haven't bought a home. <laughs> I can't figure out where I want to live. That's my problem. But yeah, that's okay. Yeah. So you've achieved something that a lot of people haven't yet, especially now you're on your second home. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. I think that that's a fault of our education system. I only, I was working in banking. So I learned about credit early on before I could mess my credit up. Mm-hmm. I learned about mortgages. I I didn't grow up in an env- I didn't grow up seeing a lot of home ownership, right? I grew up in an yeah. apartment up until my mother remarried and we moved into my stepfather's home. But buying a home all the way up until I bought my home was something I might do when I'm old. Mm-hmm. That was, that's how I viewed it. Owning a home that's for older people, maybe I'll do it. I still have yeah. friends that families live in apartments where I grew up. So when I was able to get educated on not only how easy the process was, but how overall home ownership was beneficial, mm-hmm. it, it's one of the driving forces in why I do what I do is because I think there's a lot of people like me who didn't have the experience of seeing it, does, don't know how obtainable it is, and don't realize what their, what their I guess the benefits that they're not receiving by just choosing not to do it or feeling like mm-hmm. it's overwhelming or feeling like they don't know. So, yeah, but, but that was just because I was in that world. Had I not been in that world, I don't know if I ever would have bought a house. Yeah, no, I agree. I also listened to another podcast recently and they were talking about, I think the percentage was like 35% of black adults own a home or something like that. It was something just crazy compared to whites, for example. And I think it's a cultural thing. Well, red educational. Yeah. There's like yeah. so many reasons why home ownership isn't as common in certain communities oh don't get me started on that yeah because there's not they don't <laughs> teach it in school to anybody but it's what are you mm-hmm. learning at home when it comes to that stuff there's a yeah. huge disparity and that's mm-hmm. one of the big focuses of the company that i work for is trying to bridge that gap yeah. at the end of the day that is one of the that that's how you build equity that's how you build wealth with your family is is, is having owning real estate owning property owning land mm-hmm. and um and yeah, that's yeah, that's that's a that's a long conversation to get into because yeah. it it's a problem. <laughs> it's a whole other that, thing. Yeah, that that is that was an in, it was intentionally created. It mm-hmm. wasn't by accident. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's um, terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's awful. Yeah, so I guess thinking about what's going on in today's economy, whether or not we're going into a recession right now, is now a good time to buy a home? Yes, <laughs> no question. It's always a good time to buy a house. It's I was going to say, is there ever a, a bad time? <laughs> it's not. There's there's never a bad time to buy a house. It it just depends on what's your reason to buy a house. If mm-hmm. if you even in a time where you you may not be able to sell your house in in a year and receive a huge return on it, it you're still benefiting because it's still it's still a long term investment. Real estate has only ever appreciated in the grand. I mean, even if there's moments where it goes down, it's still always going up. So even if your return on investment, because maybe the price range of the home or the current market, et cetera, you're still better off paying for a mortgage than than renting. So if yeah, it's always it's always a good time to buy. Yesterday is always the best time to buy. It's it's it's, it's always too late if you don't have a house yet, just because you're missing <laughs> out every every day that goes by, you're getting less house for your dollar. 
Mm. Yeah, that's rough. That FOMO, it'll hit me and I'll be like, okay, now I need a house. Yeah, <laughs> I'm missing I, I, out on all this extra. I, I'll say something that might be contradictory to that, but I, I do think that there is an element where I think it takes a financially wise person to know that they should buy a house. It takes an even wiser person to know that buying a house might not be for them. Mm-hmm. Meaning if you truly understand your financial situation, what your goals are, like I'm saying, it's all about long-term, short-term, what... If you think in your situation, I don't want the responsibility of maintaining a property, paying yeah. one rental fee, I'm traveling, I'm doing this, my mm-hmm. overhead's lower. There's, it, it's a rare, it's not a lot of situations where that applies, but there are situations where renting might be better for somebody's lifestyle, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I I think that there's situations where that that can apply for sure. But I think you'd have to be really in tune to what your plans are and and really break it down and have to figure out all the reasons why you still shouldn't buy a house because. I often hear, especially people went to school with people our age. I don't know if I want to stay in North Carolina. I don't want to stay here. <laughs> I know I'm like, not going back to Concord. It's my like, parents are listening. <laughs> even if you're going to California, <laughs> you still can rent the house out. Like you True, buy yeah. it, live yeah. it. Like you can, I don't know if I want to stay here. What does it matter if you stay here? The property ain't going with you. It's not like you got yeah. to put it in your suitcase. It's like, I don't want to mm-hmm. buy it because then I got to bring it to me to Cali. It's like, nah, leave it, rent it, sell it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not losing yeah. nothing. So. Yeah, I think uh, I think that if, if whatever is holding you back, it's probably not you specifically, but yeah. person listening, <laughs> whatever is holding you back, it's most likely not a reason why you really should buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good to know. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen people make when purchasing their first home? One is waiting too long. And that's shining to what we said. I've, I've had mm-hmm. clients who, who've gotten pre-approved, let's say for a certain amount. For whatever the reason, their expectations, what they're wanting to get in the house, they felt as though I can't get, I can't check every box in this price range. So I'm going to wait. That's a big mistake. I mean, I, I still think of a client who, when I had pre-approved her at this time, it was probably four years ago or something. She had pre-approved for like 213000 Maybe mm-hmm. even less. It might have been even, maybe it was like 115000 I don't know. It was, it was a low amount. But at that time, you could find, you, you could find houses then. Yeah. That were livable, that mm-hmm. maybe weren't upgraded. Maybe they weren't as aesthetically pleasing. But she was living at home with mom and dad, a, a lot nicer house. She had the comfort of home. And so I guess in her mindset, it was like, if I'm going to leave this, I got to go into something that is either as nice or makes me feel like I don't want to go into this older house in this area. Mm-hmm. But what I think that maybe this client failed to realize was like, this isn't probably your parents' first house. They, what did they do to get this house? Like, you have mm-hmm. to think of how they got True. here. Yeah. And in most cases, you you get to your dream house by buying your first house, your second mm-hmm. house and leveraging that equity. So I think because now I, I vividly remember thinking you could have she could have bought a house for, let's say, it was one hundred and twenty thousand at that point. Could have found something wouldn't have been pretty if she would have sold it even a year. This market that we just came back up over the last two yeah. years. I mean, <laughs> a house that she would have bought four years ago at one hundred twenty thousand probably easily worth close to three hundred thousand right now. Mm-hmm. That's an insane amount of money. That yeah. You, there's, I mean, who can even who can save that much money in two, three right. years? I mean, yeah. So waiting, if you, if you, yeah, waiting is a big mistake, and then not saving money while you're not saving money uh, mm-hmm. when you can save money because a lot of clients have the misconception that if they're buying their first house, they're they don't need money or there's these programs and these grants and and we can maybe go over that later. But the reality yeah. is, month save, 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 and buy as soon as you feel ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then something else I've always heard is. Don't buy a car or open a new line of credit, whether that's a credit card or whatever, when you're getting ready to buy a home. So is that true? And like, how far in advance should you start this whole process if you're thinking that you might want to buy a home soon? 
Uh, so you you can never get pre-approved too soon. That's my, in my opinion, and the reason I say that is the information that you're going to get on mortgages online. It, it, they're not, it's not easily accessible. So valuable information mm. is hard to find because guidelines are going to vary by the company. There might be certain things that are specific, specific to certain states. And the reality is a lot of mortgage guidelines or requirements are perceptual to some degree. And that's where your lender comes into play, right? It's about, mm-hmm. hey, here's ABC guideline. It may apply to my client, may not, but let me build this case. Let's get this paperwork, this document so that this is, does not hinder their approval or vice versa. Mm-hmm. If you go online and start reading, you might assume... Oh, I don't qualify because of this. Or so you yeah. can never get approved too soon because it's all about what information is specific to Joel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can look online, but we got it. How do I get the information specific to me? The only way to do that is to apply and have a lender look at your credit, look at your finances, and that's how you get the, the, the accurate information. Um, so if you want to buy even in a year, start now. Get your pre approval now. Look at what the terms are. Get an idea of not only what you qualify for, but now, you know, most times when I speak to first time home buyers, there's a little bit of disconnect of what their mortgage payment will really look like, how much money mm-hmm. they will really need. So the sooner you get that information, I think the better, because it might take you a year to save the money. And yeah. you don't want you don't want to be have your lease up in three months and then be like, Oh, there's no way I could come up with that money in time. So Mm-hmm. I don't think you can start that process too soon. And I'm sorry if there was another part of that question, but I know that was definitely no, a question. No, that's helpful. Now I have another question. So, because I always thought that if you were to start this process, you would have to kind of use your rate or whatever offer that you got like soon within the next couple of months. So, how uh, long does this offer or this pre approval last? That's like, is this, there a, a limit? So, yes and no. So, the only, so your, your pre, this pre approval timeline that most people think of of 90 days or whatever. That's tied to your credit. So you have to get your credit pulled, uh, full trimerge, all three credit bureaus to do your, to do a true pre-approval. We as lenders have to update credit every 120 days, meaning from when I pull your credit, if you don't close on your house within 120 days, then credit will have to be updated. So technically your pre-approval is only valid up until about 90 days because that factors in about 30 days after that to close. So if you get under Mm -hmm. contract in 90 days, then you can close within 120. Typically that's kind of like loose timeline, but in reality, as long as your circumstances aren't changing, meaning in those 90, 120 days, you're not applying for new credit. Uh, that mm-hmm. was the question you asked about opening lines of credit and stuff, um, and I'll answer that. But you're not applying for credit. You didn't open any new debt. Your scores aren't dropping. Your income isn't. You're not quitting your job. If your overall situation is almost identical to what it was when you initiated your pre-approval, then your updated pre-approval, it, okay. it, might, not, it might not really expire. So I, I mm-hmm. handle that personally kind of as a client-by-client basis. There are certain clients that I work with that their pre-approval is tight, right? Like this mm-hmm. is tight. Maybe your credit was just on the line. Maybe your income is this. Maybe the where rates went, now what you qualified for before it went down. Those are situations where if 120 days or if 90 days passes, I will say, hey, I, I can update your pre-approval, but I need to re-pull credit. I need your permission. We need to get everything, pay, pay stuff, bank statements again. And then there's certain clients where their file is, is very clean. They've handled things, you know, whether it be credit, income. Their, their assets all well to where I feel comfortable. I'm like, you know what? I'll take, I'll use the honor system. Mm-hmm. I'll put it on them. If I do have to pull your, well, when I have to pull your credit again, once you're under contract, if it's not what you're telling me and you did open new debt and because we will find it, then mm-hmm. you take that risk. But if you're telling me that everything is the same, I'll just jump in your file. I'll make sure that changes in interest rates or whatever doesn't affect it, but I won't have to update your credit. And in those situations, the pre-approval never really expires. Hmm. Because if you're telling me the information is the same, then I'll just jump in the file and update it. And for yeah. the int- for the interest rate, you may be qualified by using a certain rate. And depending on what's happening in the market, it does affect your approval. But you're not locked in. You don't have to use this rate or have to do this because your rate 
is actually not locked in until you're already under contract and you're within, oh, let's say, typically okay. 30 days of closing. Gotcha. So you don't, yeah, you can get quoted a rate and it's just that. It's just a rate that's being quoted based on the market mm-hmm. for that day. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense because I was like, oh, once you get your rate, you kind of need to hurry up <laughs> and go ahead and buy a house because you're going to lose that. But that makes a lot of sense. Sure. So what should people have prepared before they call you or a lender? Like what stuff do they need to have already pulled? Do they need to know, obviously, their income? Do they need to go ahead and pull those tax forms? Yeah. What all do they need? Yeah. So generally speaking, it's it's going to be your basic stuff. So when you can, you don't have to know much before you call me. Like, I mean, I'm, you could call me. I'm happy to answer all questions, any question. So as far as like before you even speak to your lender, you just have to know that you want to buy a house <laughs> or you have to at least feel <laughs> like you think you want to buy a house. At that point, let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Once you're ready, what, sh- what you should get prepared for when getting ready to start the approval process is, yes, you want to you want to have pay stubs available. You want to know what you get paid because you're applying. But at the end of the day, once you send a pay stub, then we're going to correct that. So you want to just have your taxes filed for the last two years. They may or may not be needed as far as like needing to see them. But we do need taxes to be filed. You cannot have past due taxes. Mm. So to file, make sure you're filing your taxes. Make sure you are employed. And make sure you have the general idea of wanting to buy a house. And then as long as, as, long as you're there, then, then you at least start. It's... It's, again, it's never too soon to start the process to ask questions, to talk mm-hmm. to somebody. I mean, just, just ask the questions and get the information. It's, it's tough to make a decision on whether you want to buy, whether you want to renew your lease. Mm-hmm. I've spoken to people like right after they renewed a lease. They say, hey, I was in Italia. I just renewed my lease. Mm-hmm. So I want to buy you. Why didn't you call me before? Literally, you just <laughs> renewed your lease like yesterday or a week ago. You made a decision with one eye closed because you're comparing do I buy now or do I rent? If mm-hmm. you don't have the information on what buying a house looks like 100% specific to you, you're making a decision with one eye closed. You're, you're saying, oh, I'm just going to rent. But how do you know? You d- yeah. get the information first, then decide if you want to keep renting. So mm-hmm. yeah, just get the information, ask the questions as soon as you can. Yeah, that makes sense. So what types of mortgages are available? I know there's a few different types. I've read about. Can you explain them? Yeah, so that's that's a broad question. So I'll just keep it kind of generally speaking. There's going to mm-hmm. be I mean, uh, types. Let me see how to use types. So I'll address types as far at first initially as like maybe the type of property you're buying. So there's going to be loan terms that are going to be specific for if you want to rent that house out, if you want to live in that house, and if, you're, if you've had ownership of property in the last three years. So that's like, and there's more, but like, those are like the general ones that most people buying their first home are going to be in a situation. I want to buy this house. Mm-hmm. I still have a lease, but I want to start an investment. So I want to, so that's going to be a type of loan you're purchasing an investment property that's going to have a higher down payment requirement. Then there's, uh, you're buying just maybe your second home that the down, it typically is tied to interest rate and down payment requirements. That's usually what's going to be impacted the most. So if you're buying an investment property, you're going to have to have at least 15% prepared for down payment. If you're buying a property, but you've had ownership of a property in the last three years, meaning you're not a first-time home buyer, because that's what first-time mm-hmm. home buyer means, no ownership of property in the last three years, then your down payment could be as, as typically is going to be around five, at least 5%. And then if you are buying a house to live in and it is your first one, your down payment could be as low as 3%. So that's one way to describe, let's say, types of loans. And, mm-hmm. then, and then there's loans for veterans. So there's VA loans, there's loans for clients who are purchasing homes in more was like more rural areas, places mm-hmm. that are more outskirts of city limits. It's a government uh, kind of assisted loan or funded loan, or I think the real term is government secured loan that is um, designed to help drive more home ownership in those areas. It's a USDA loan. And then there are, you know, then your standard conventional and FHA loans. And the difference between those, that's like 1A and 1B. 
the main thing, the main differences between those is going to be credit. So based on where your credit mm-hmm. is, that's going to determine which one of those is the best for you. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I also like hearing that there's some loans where you only need to put down 3% because I mm-hmm. think there's a big misconception that you need so much money in order to buy a home. I know, of course, you need money, <laughs> but it's not as much necessarily as some people think. Not at all. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a, a big misconception or an idea around like 20%. Mm-hmm. And that's really just tied to... With a conventional loan specifically, if you put 20% down, you remove what's called private mortgage insurance. But it's weird how that's kind of, it's kind of like the game of telephone. Over time, that's kind of been tied to people thinking, getting information, it kind of gets twisted each time a little yeah. bit to, now I need need have 20% down. It's, mm-hmm. it's not the case. So so yeah, that's that's a, it, it's so weird, the extremes. I either talk to clients who are like, I'm buying my first home, I don't need any money at all, or <laughs> I never called you because I thought I needed 20%. Yeah, so, that was yeah, me back in the day. Yeah, three percent, and and still, that's not a small amount of money, right? If you right, think realistically yeah. in this market, looking at three hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollar house, three percent of that plus your closing costs in addition to that's not a little bit of money. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's not twenty percent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Can you explain what PMI is and how you can get that removed? Yeah. So it's private mortgage insurance, and what it, it's something that protects the lender. So it's it's worded as an insurance, but it's really for the service of your mortgage loan, um, and it's and it's based on really the amount of mortgages are you know when they're sold in the secondary market. These companies that are holding your mortgage loan are really profiting over the idea of you having that loan for a certain period of time. So if you don't put a lot of money down. And there's a higher risk because you didn't put money down. And then maybe who knows when you're going to you know, sell that property or get rid of that mortgage loan. That private mortgage insurance is protecting them in cases of default, but then also adding an additional amount of money, I guess, that they're making on your loan for the possibility that you don't have it for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. But and, as, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure I could probably get into more detail about <laughs> that. But admittedly, mortgage insurance is something that generally, to, to you know, as a client, it doesn't benefit you. But it is on almost every mortgage anyway. So don't feel yeah. bad about having it. It's not mm-hmm. going to be a, a, a tremendous amount of money monthly. And very few situations is it that you're avoiding it, you know, because it's either going to be if you have a large down payment, which might be your second or third house that you're putting, selling one house using the equity in. So almost yeah. everybody has mortgage insurance. And then it falls off on a conventional anyway. It falls off once you have 20% of equity. Or you could put 20% down or in certain situations, you could put 15% down and remove it as well by just doing a one-time closing cost. But in this market, you can buy a house at 5% down, live in it for two, three years and probably have 20% of equity already. And then you just call mm-hmm. your mortgage servicer and say, you know, let them know that you believe your home's appreciated up to the point where you have 20% of equity. Mm-hmm. And then at the most, they'll do is require an appraisal. And as long as your home appraises for that, then you can you could drop your PMI early. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just important to remember to call your lender back and let them know. Yeah, check in, but a good lender is going to be checking in on you anyway. But yeah, yeah, yeah you want it, you want it. But most people believe that the minute you own a house, you're going to keep your interest in mm-hmm. what your house is worth. People yeah. are always looking at what's my house worth, Googling their house, you know. <laughs> and once yeah. you see that number start to go up online, at least what's estimated online, not sure, it doesn't matter how mm-hmm. accurate it is, you're going to be like, okay, I got a lot of equity now. And then at that yeah. point, that should be an indicator for you to call your lender and be like, should I refinance to get PMI out or can I mm-hmm. just get it out without the refinance, things like that? Yeah, nice. So you mentioned earlier that there were home buyer assistance programs and grants and that sort of thing available. How do people find those? And in this market right now, can you still use those? Oh, those are actually two really good questions. Uh, the, the second question is good because that, that is most people don't think of how does it apply to the market. Mm-hmm. Those programs are available. The best thing you could do as a client is find your lender that you want to work with. Vet out the company, vet out the person, 
speak with that lender to see what they have to offer. Because programs are going to vary by the, the state that you're purchasing in, the city that you're purchasing in, and even the lender that you're using. So you don't want to get committed to a program or do you know overly put too much time into researching a product mm-hmm. that maybe the lender that you want to work with does not have access to. Maybe they have something comparable. So those programs are available. The best thing you can do as a client is talk to your lender first, see what they have. I view those programs as a last resort as, a plo- as opposed to your first option as even a first-time home buyer. And okay. the reason being is when you're thinking of a traditional home buyer, you're looking at, like I said, a conventional or FHA loan, like 1A, 1B. And what, no matter what you see online where everybody's like, I'm a first-time home buyer, FHA, that, <laughs> it might say that online. But if you have a credit above 700, then a conventional loan is probably going to be more ideal. So let's just mm-hmm. say you're a traditional home buyer, you're not a veteran, you're not purchasing any in a rural area for a USDA loan. So you're just commonly FHA conventional. If you're getting one of these loans, they have a minimum down payment requirement, meaning no matter what, your loan amount can only be a certain percentage of the value of that home. Hmm. Meaning that down payment is being provided no matter what. These programs are secondary loans. So they're secondary liens. So whether that money came from you or not, your loan itself, your mortgage loan is never going to be over, let's say for an FHA loan, your loan is never going to be more than 96.5% of the value of that home or the purchase price, whichever is lower. And mm-hmm. a conventional loan, depending on the type investment primary, let's say you're buying your first home, your loan is never going to be more than 97% of the value of the purchase price. So if you close on a house and didn't bring 3% down in closing costs, then what does that mean? There's secondary lien. So you're, you have two liens on your house. And then depending on the product, it's going to affect, did it affect your interest rate? Is it a bond loan? So there's bond loans and then there's just like subordinate seconds. So a bond loan would be some, be an example of, let's say, North Carolina offers one. They're a bond loan, so they're going to be taking both your first mortgage and your second, the second loan that they're giving you for your down payment. They're mm-hmm. they're both they're going to retain both of those loans. So they're going to determine your interest rate. It's not going to be determined by the market. You're going to be mm-hmm. stuck with their interest rate for their product. They're going to have both your loans. You're going to pay all of your mortgage payments to them, and you're going to have what's called a silent second loan. So mm-hmm. even though you didn't maybe brought less money or no money at closing, and you're just making your mortgage payment. That loan is always there. It's silent, meaning no payments are made. It's not accruing interest, but it's there, and you have to satisfy the timing requirement. So that particular program, at least right now, is 15 years, mm-hmm. meaning if you sell or refinance within 15 within 10 years, you pay the full amount back. Every year oh, wow. after year, yeah, every year after year 10, it goes down 20% until fi- year 15 is fully forgiven. Then there's like subordinate seconds, which there's one in the city of Charlotte, and that means that you're going to have your mortgage loan. If you close with, with me, let's say movement mortgage, your main loan is going to be a movement mortgage. You're going to make payments to movement mortgage for your mortgage, but you're going to have a secondary lien in the background. It's still not accruing interest. Um, you're still not making payments on it, but the city of Charlotte uh, does not have your first loan. And then mm-hmm. that one has a 10-year timing requirement. So seller refinance within five years, you pay the full amount back. Every year after year five, it goes down 20% until your tenant's fully forgiven. So there's a lot of different programs that, that are out there, but the, yeah. the, the fact there is no free money. They're, yeah, they're there's a catch. <laughs> there's a catch always. And so yeah. it's, it's still a better alternative than renting, but it's never something that I would recommend to somebody who has money saved up and just doesn't want to use it. Mm-hmm. You can have access to money through family or has retirement accounts, 401ks, investment accounts that you can pull from. At the end of the day, you're just taking that from one investment and putting it in another. You're avoiding a secondary lien. You're avoiding the statistics of, regardless of how long you think you're going to be in your house, statistically, you will have a change to your original lien within five to seven years, meaning mm-hmm. you're either going to sell your house 
or your original lien and your original loan, you're going to refinance it within five to seven years. And that that's why they put these 15-year requirements on it. They're not dumb. They want to get the money back. They're not just giving <laughs> yeah. you money. So you're going to pay that money back regardless. And mm-hmm. the only thing that you're doing in the meantime is likely taking a higher interest rate for that period of time that you have your house mm-hmm. and or you're maybe qualifying for less because their guidelines are more strict. Yeah. And then to title at the end, you're probably in this market hindering your ability to even go under contract because in this market, it, they're going to prioritize as a seller, cash offers, conventional loans, any other loan, down payment assistance loans because you mm. legally, your agent has to disclose that you're using those programs. Okay. And a lot of them are going to have additional inspections that are needed, additional hoops for both the buyer and the seller to go through. Mm-hmm. And since they all, they have a, they have to be underwritten separately in addition to your lender underwriting it, the amount of time needed to close that loan is typically longer. Mm-hmm. So you're now looking at me as a seller. I got to get an extra inspection. If yeah. stuff comes up on that inspection, then <laughs> I got to fix it or we're going to be negotiating about it. You got to take a longer to close. Mm-hmm. Maybe I view you as less qualified because you need a program. You don't have the money. Unfortunately, yeah. that is something that we deal with in this market. Mm-hmm. So um, so is it? are you able to use them in this market? I think we're getting back to a place slowly where clients who truly need it will be in a better place to use them. But ever since I've had access to them, they've always, at least to some degree, had some sort of negative impact. Mm-hmm. But um, but I work with primarily first-time home buyers, so I'm well-versed in them and I've used them yeah. often. But I still always look at them as, if you have to, let's try it. Mm-hmm. But if you have the money, don't be afraid to take out your 401k or ask your mom or your brother or your sister before you ask North Carolina. Because I'd rather have, you know, I, don't <laughs> want, I don't want their hands in my pockets if I can avoid it. Yeah. No, that's really good to know because I feel like a lot of people talk about those programs like, oh, yeah, it's so easy. Just get this free money. But it comes with a lot of other hoops that you need to jump through. And a seller probably doesn't care that much, honestly, (laughs) especially now they're like, no, I'm ready to close my house. And if somebody else can do it faster, then, of course, they're going to They're just looking for reasons to decline your offer. Yeah, you want to give them as little reasons as possible to not accept your offer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So. My audience sent me a ton of questions and I've already asked a lot of them, but a few more that came up were like, is there a minimum income requirement in order to buy a home or is that more about your debt to income ratio? And then we can get into student loan debt, credit card debt. Does all that have to be paid off? Can you buy a house with student loan debt? That's a big one. So yeah, I know I just threw a bunch of questions at you, but it's all pretty much related. Yeah, they can all be answered (laughs) in the same way. Everything is specific to you. Mm -hmm. There's no way to get that straight answer because it's all specific to you. Somebody can have $300,000 in student loan debt. They make enough money where it does not impact them. And and then why does it not impact them? Is it mm-hmm. because they make a lot of money? Is it because they make enough money to qualify for what they want? Because yeah. it's all perspective, right? Because you can have this much in debt and then your income could be this much and you may only qualify for 200000 That may be all you want. That may be all mm-hmm. you need. And then the person who would be in that same situation and wants the $400,000, $500,000 house, then yeah, your student loans are negatively impacting your ability to approve. So it's all specific to you. It's all specific to what you're looking to, what your, I guess, preferences and expectations are in your home buying is. And then mm-hmm. what what is your certain search situation? Because your credit may put you into a certain loan, whether it be FHA or conventional, that they're going to view things like student loans. They're going to calculate those differently. They're going to affect mm-hmm. your income differently. So you can have... Two people with the same income, same student loans, but one could have higher credit. And because they're going conventional versus, F- versus FHA, both their student loans and their income are to- are calculated and in their application differently. Okay. So yeah, all of that, credit cards, any debt, student, anything, any debt that's reported on your credit. So mm-hmm. not going to be like your groceries, but 
Credit cards, <laughs> personal loans, auto loans, student loans, and then um, and then your income and your debt, what you qualify for, what you have to earn. It's all going to be specific to you. And that's why you the sooner you apply and have a lender tell you what your situation is, the better. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So long story short, go talk to a lender. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for real, <laughs> uh, you got to. I mean, you could you could call you could go on WebMD all day, but you're not gonna be able to diagnose yourself until you see a doctor. <laughs> it, it is a That's pretty much you, what it is. Yeah, it's 100 percent what it is. You got to talk about you. You got to go have them see you. I've searched WebMD and I thought I was dying so many times. <laughs> I think that happens to everybody when they search Probably. WebMD. Yeah, the only thing that so WebMD funny. did confirm for sure is that I have anxiety, and, oh my and gosh. that's the only thing that I'm that's okay everyone, to. especially <laughs> the past two years. Yeah, for real. <laughs> So funny. Well, this has been really helpful. You answered a ton of questions that I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from hearing the correct answers to. Yes, so, I crushed it. Did <laughs> killed awesome. it. I love it. <laughs> so before we wrap up, do you want to go ahead and tell people where they can find you? Yeah. So uh, I'm on Instagram at the underscore mortgage poppy. That's just one word, the underscore mortgage poppy. I believe that's my TikTok handle too. I don't do anything on TikTok right now, but I will. I think <laughs> I'm in the category of probably a lot of people who think they're going to do it one day. <laughs> and then um and yeah that, that's my main i mean that's the main place for you to follow my instagram if you do i post mostly content about mortgage for to educate my clients and my realtor partners so if you're just wanting to keep keep tabs on what's going on in the market if you're just looking to get general information regarding credit and mortgage that could pertain to you you can even just take you know go on my instagram check it out you're, you scroll through it it's just a bunch of information about mortgages and credit yeah awesome well thank you so much thanks for tuning in to the first hustled in brunch podcast if you enjoyed this episode or learned something new i'd love if you subscribed and left us a review another way to support the podcast is to take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your instagram story tag me at first hustled in brunch so i can repost it thank you so much for supporting the show and i'll see you in the next episode